Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. So this week we have two very important guests from the uh, Pharmaceutical and Healthcare Association of the Philippines. Uh, we're here to talk about something very important, which is the uh, the search for a vaccine for COVID-19, which, as we all know, has been wreaking havoc uh, all over the world, including here in the Philippines. Our first guest, of course, is Dr. Beaver Tamesis. He's the uh, president of uh, PHAP. And also, we are joined by Mr. Teodoro Padilla, the executive director of PHAP. Uh, good morning, gentlemen, and thank you very much for joining us on this ANC Matters of Fact podcast. Uh, thank you, Christian, for the kind invitation. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. Okay, first, let's talk about this, uh, this group, uh, PHAP, uh, not to be confused with the uh, Private Hospitals Association of the Philippines. Uh, Dr. Beaver. Okay. Yeah, we're very different. Uh, this is a group of the innovator, mainly comprised of innovator drug companies. Uh, we have at least 40 members in the, in the organization. And we do have some people from the retail side, particularly Mercury, who has joined us also. Okay. And uh, how long has this uh, group been? Oh, we've been around for over 50, in fact, 75 years. We, I think we just celebrated our yeah. diamond anniversary. Uh, yeah, yes, uh, we've actually been uh, around, it started right after World War II, 1946. Uh, it was known under a different name and over time the, the names have been changed until it finally became uh, the name PHAP with, uh, back in the, er, sometime in the 70s. No? Uh, I think it was sometime in the mid-1970s when it changed to our current name. No? Okay, so let's go straight to the issue. President Rodrigo Duterte said that he was uh, offering a 50 million peso reward for any Filipino who would be able to develop or find a vaccine uh, for COVID-19. The initial offer was 10 million pesos. But my first question is, you guys uh, are very familiar with the, with the process of vaccine development. Is this how things actually work? Meaning you offer a reward and things would, uh, would get going? Uh, I wish it were that simple, yeah. <laughs> I really wish it were. Unfortunately, it's a very, very complex process. Uh, just the, right now, we're actually accelerating the discovery process, right? We think we can accelerate and discover something within the next 6 to 12 months. Manufacturing the product can actually take 3 to 5 years. So it is really a very difficult and... Uh, uh, you have to really compress the timelines to be able to achieve uh, the current state that we're trying to go for from the normal three to five to even 10 years. We're trying to bring it all the way down to about 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. And what's been driving that is really this unprecedented pandemic and all of the uh, collaboration uh, between major agencies across the world, be it the WHO, be it the NIH of the US government be it all the IFPMA, which is the umbrella organization of all the pharmaceutical companies, the uh, innovator companies such as ours. So everybody's really working together to try to compress these timelines. Universities are actively generating also their own uh, uh, vaccine candidates. Uh, there's one coming from Australia. There's another one from Baylor in the U.S. But uh, there are many multiple mm -hmm. efforts. And it's not um, realistic, really, to be honest. Okay. Uh, if I may add to that, uh, Christian, no? um, you know, last week, uh, Friday, the 24th no, of April, the, the, the WHO actually launched a program. It's called the uh, Access to COVID-19 
accelerator. No? So the reason for doing this is because the WHO uh, pulled together all the uh, players, no, the stakeholders who are involved. No? And as mentioned, there's the you have just not just the WHO, but you also have the different health authorities. You have uh, IFPMA that uh, where which PIAP is a member of, and our members are also part of. And then you have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the uh, Gavi, which is the Global Alliance for Vaccines. No? So. I mean, all of this together uh, was important to pool because they realized, people, the WHO has realized that you need as many resources as possible to accelerate the mm. development of a vaccine. Uh, so while the uh, position of the Philippine government of President Duterte is, in, I think, uh, in the right place, his heart may be in the right place, even a reward of, uh, of 50 million will not push the vaccine to be, to be developed even faster. No? Thankfully, What's happened is that the country, the Philippines, has been included in this list of uh, which is called the Solidarity Agreement no? mm -hmm. amongst 100 or so countries working with the WHO where all of these uh, therapies, uh, treatments, vaccines that are going to be coming out of this uh, as a result of this pandemic will include our country as part of the testing, testing sites. No? Okay. So I think that's, that's what we can really uh, be very hopeful for. In the, in the near future. Let's talk about the amount offered by President Duterte, 50 million pesos, and he said that he, uh, he could even raise it to 100 million pesos, uh, depending on the situation. Um, realistically, for example, you guys are very familiar with vaccine development. How far can 50 million pesos go when it comes to developing a vaccine? Well, the standard development time of a vaccine uh, cost is anywhere from 1 to 2 billion dollars per vaccine per vaccine okay so leave it at that i mean like uh, uh the best example of uh, a best recent example of a rapidly accelerated vaccine uh for a pandemic or a potential crisis was the ebola vaccine mm. ebola you know was ravaging the congo uh, the central africa states uh there was already a candidate vaccine developed by a canadian firm but they needed the funding to be able to develop it and to actually prove that the vaccine actually works. It's not enough to identify a candidate. You have to prove that it actually works. Mm -hmm. So they turned to a few companies and one company in particular stepped up to the plate and actually said, yes, we will develop this vaccine. And that vaccine of, from 2014, the initial trials had proved that it was actually working, proof of concept. Then you have to do a much more expanded trial to prove that it really works under varying circumstances. That finally got approval from both the European Union and the US FDA in 2019. Uh, so five years. years. Five years. So 2014 to 2019. It took all of these years to get the trial to actually done, to actually prove that the vaccine works and was safe. But, but, it's but not in, enough to prove it works. You have to prove that it's safe. But in this case, we're talking about COVID-19. It's a pandemic and uh, of right. course, uh, resources worldwide are being pulled. Oh, realistically, yes. how soon do you think, guys, uh, can we uh, develop a vaccine? Fast, optimistic, yeah. 12 to 18 months. 12 to 18 months. Being, yeah, that's already being optimistic, assuming everything works. Right now, there are at least two or three vaccines currently in trial. One is the one by, it's a messenger RNA vaccine developed by uh, this U.S. company that's already begun their first trials in U.S. 
Another one is a uh, different vaccine being developed and now undergoing trials in the UK. And then there was another one that was just approved for trials in Germany. Germany, yes. Right. So oh. those are the ones currently in trial. Oh. Mr. Padilla, let's talk about the very complicated process of research and development. We know that uh, there's a lot of investment involved uh, coming from, let's say, pharmaceutical companies. So ordinarily, how complicated is the process of research and development? Well, without a pandemic, no, putting aside the pandemic, so you, anytime that there's something being developed or researched, rather, you, you have uh, anywhere, uh, you have sometimes as many as 50,000 different iterations of molecules, uh, you know, compounding uh, current ones and, and developing new ones. Before you can actually, you know, you go through the whole uh, process and then, and, it's, and as mentioned, it takes about maybe $2 billion before you actually come up with maybe one or two that, that pass all the trials, no? all the different phases. No? So this is just, let's say, in, in a regular um, scenario. Now, of course, with the pandemic, you have the resources of all of these uh, governments and countries, and I mean, sorry, countries and, and companies that are pooling together to develop this uh, and to work fast and furious to, to, to put this together. So, of course, the resources are, are greater. Um, they're all being diverted to, to come up with the COVID-19 vaccine and other treatments. So you're here, uh, that's why the, 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 the time frame of a 12 to 18 month uh, window is really already compressed, no? Because everyone is working, uh, is, is working hand in hand. We've never seen any kind of, uh, this kind of collaboration you know, amongst uh, co traditional competitors, working together, sharing knowledge, uh, the different uh, universities and laboratories all together. So uh, yes, the cost of development will be, will be greater, but because of a pooling of resources, it may become more efficient. No? Mm -hmm. but, we, but we cannot accelerate the timeline as much as we can. Uh, as I said, as, as was said, no? 12 months is already quite um, a reach. It's a, it's a, it's, it, it may be attainable, but it's definitely a reach. Mm. When you say 12 to 18 months, everything has been completed, all stages. That's right. Well, likely, likely all stages have been completed. Let me cite an example of what we mean by collaboration, right? What does it mean? When a company sets out to develop its own vaccine for a specific illness, maybe you will work with a couple of other partners, set up the contracts, the licensing agreements, et cetera, et cetera, and you do it by yourself. It's a proprietary information, right? There's no further sharing. In this particular setting, because of the ACTID collaboration that's been set up, the WHO collaboration, companies are actually putting forward their assets and sharing it with each other. So how does a lot of propriety and proprietary information going on here? I mean, like candidates that have been identified by university could now be put through the trials by a pharma company, which has the logistics and the wherewithal to actually get the clinical trials going. You don't expect the university to be able to conduct a, a worldwide clinical trial, do we? Mm -hmm. It's really the pharma companies that have this span and this global reach to be able to do these trials. So really? that's the kind of offers that many companies have put forward on the table. Uh, if I don't have a candidate that works, that I can identify, but you do, I'm willing to do the trial for you. Mm -hmm. And then another company will say, oh, 
if you're going to do this particular compound, I can throw in this particular adjuvant or this particular molecule that will enhance that particular vaccine response. So mm -hmm. this is the kind of collaboration that we're currently seeing. It's totally unprecedented. So we're seeing the best in humanity here because people are cooperating. Absolutely. So, so you don't see, for example, the, the usual competition among pharmaceutical companies uh, on, on who gets credit because, of course, whether we like it or not, this is still big business, the vaccine. Well, there will still be business considerations, right? And that's why we have a three or four or five candidates already uh, racing. So it's not just being the first to cross the finish line, but you have to find the best vaccine with the highest efficacy. So it's important that we set up or we do testing for multiple uh, vaccines to be able to find the best one, the best candidate out there. Sometimes, though, you don't want necessarily the best candidate. You want the first one because of the pandemic nature. Then maybe later in the future, you'd settle now for the best one, right? Uh, as you now vaccinate globally. So, yes, there are multiple angles to look at this, not just from the altruistic humanitarian, but definitely everybody wants to prevent this uh, disease from ever spreading again. So eventually, you want to get to the best candidate out there that can be widely distributed to the world. Okay, uh, Mr. Padilla, uh, people of course are asking how much would this vaccine ultimately cost? I mean, with, with, with all this collaboration, do you see, uh, let's say, a price range here? You know, it's still, you know, I really cannot give you a figure for that. No, it's still too early to tell. And at the same time, of course, governments are going to be working with the, with the pharmaceutical companies to come up with, um, you know, with a pricing structure for that. We, we still don't know. Uh, Christian and, and I and I also would be very it would be also very foolhardy of me to even come up with any kind of figure at the moment no? because right now it is a global emergency this is I mean it's not affecting just one country or one continent it's affecting everybody worldwide and usually uh, how, how big is the uh, is the group of uh, people who will be covered by the test ordinarily in a vaccine development in the vaccine trial yeah. Um, I can I can cite a normal a standard standard vaccine trial like for infantile diarrhea. One study alone required more than ten thousand enrollees. Ten thousand. One trial alone. That was just one trial. And before that one trial, there are all these other trials leading up to prove that it was safe first. You have to prove safety first before you finally get to the efficacy portion. And you also have the ethical considerations, right? Of course, yeah. Yes, of course. So you, I mean, like these are, theoretically speaking, healthy individuals. Mm. You're suddenly going to expose them to this foreign material. You better be sure that that foreign material doesn't cause more harm first than good. Mm. Yeah, and uh, if I may add to that, no, I'm, you know, when this was just beginning back in February, uh, there was one uh, prominent personality who even approached me and said, Ed, let's not don't any more test on don't any more test on animals. Go straight to people because we need this. I said no, you know, I mean I, I understand where you're coming from in terms of the sense of urgency, but you still need to go through these testing protocols just to make sure that this is safe, uh, that this does not um, con cause harm, because it's one thing to have a solution immediately, but you still need to go through the the the, the proper uh, standard operating procedures. I got curious with that information that you gave. Is yeah, that a politician or someone from the DOH? Well, let's just put it this way. Um, <laughs> it's someone who, who, somebody who really uh, appreciates the fact that the industry is doing what it can to help. Now, do we have any uh, vaccine under development for COVID-19 locally here in the Philippines? 
Uh, not that we're aware of. Uh, uh, I'm not aware of any local pers local company out there that's trying a, an actual vaccine. No. Mm. Uh, but, but, which is more difficult uh, because uh, while uh, different governments, a lot of experts are looking for a vaccine, trying to develop it, uh, there's also a search for a cure for COVID-19. So ordinarily, which is uh, faster to, to develop or to find uh, and which is more complicated? Well, if you're looking for a treatment, yeah, right. An actual treatment. That's the first thing that all companies did. What we did was we all understood first on how does this particular virus work? Uh, what are the downsides? What does it do to the body? On the basis of understanding what it does to the body, then they started looking at candidate molecules that are already in our own particular library, in quotation marks, or our own past uh, experience, and see whether or not these particular treatments could actually impact this particular virus. So which is why the, the notion of maybe anti-HIV drugs, such as yung, uh, uh, liponavir, ritonavir combination, the consideration of this remdesivir drug of Gilead, uh, these anti-flu drugs, uh, the one from coming from Japan, uh, yeah. called Avigan, favipiravir, or even the current flu drug of, uh, of uh, Olmetisivir, I think that's already been around for quite some time. Uh, all of these products were now put through potential treatment trials to see whether or not these could actually work for that particular uh, uh, patient who's suffering from the disease. Of course, there were candidates that were identified that have since said, oh wait, no way. I mean, like it's okay in the test tube, but when you actually start calculating what is the dose required in a human, my God, it's 1,000 times the normal human dose. <laughs> so you know that that, dr that drug will not work in a human. But these other more mechanistic, yes, they seem, some of them seem to be paying, panning out or they seem to be actually working. Uh, like one of the main killers uh, why people die from uh, COVID-19 is this uh, what they call a cytokine storm. Oh. Meaning basically the body's own immune system goes crazy in trying to destroy the virus and suddenly destro starts destroying its own tissue. So suddenly, why not give these anti-cytokines, these drugs that can actually modulate the body's immune system? And that seems to be working, at least as a supportive measure. We're starting to hear good reports, but people still need to prove it actually works. You see, it's hit or miss. Eh? You don't know whether or not it's actually because the patient is naturally improving or because it's drug facilitated. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the anti-flu drugs of uh, the Japanese company, uh, that Avigan. That would be, mechanistically, it sounds right. It sounds like it's going to do the right thing, but you have to prove it. So, so which one is uh, is here to develop here? Uh, a cure, for example. I think uh, we're talking here of repurposing existing yes, drugs. Repurposing. Is that uh, is that easier to develop a treatment based on existing drugs or to to look for a vaccine to develop a vaccine? In an emergency situation, it's easier to try to repurpose uh, currently available drugs to see whether they actually work. But you know, you have to go out there and prove it. The case, such as in the case with the hydroxychloroquine, mm -hmm. early in the pandemic, everybody was saying, "Oh, it's a wonder drug! It's a wonder drug!" But now, what are we seeing? We're seeing major side effects. We're seeing patients dying of suddenly irregular heartbeats, leading mm -hmm. to sudden yeah. deaths. Oh, this is so, the uh, the anti-lupus drug, right? Yes, exactly. It was touted to be a miracle pill, but turns out, hey, it's killing more patients. Oh, that's right. There, there was so much anecdotal evidence at the start. And so 
they when they really went further into testing it, that's when they so they realized that yes, it was actually doing a, a lot more harm than good. No, so that's why it had to be also there had to be at the same time. Keep in mind that the companies that were making this were also not pushing these as treatments. They were just you know making sure that you know please please everybody must always consult their doctor instead of you know going out and buying it and taking it themselves. Is compassionate use right? Uh, compassionate use is when the doctors actually try it in a patient who's near death, right? Mm -hmm. Or a patient has, you have no other option. And, but there seems to be anecdotal evidence or cuento cuento that potentially could work. Yeah. So that's how we began. I think that's how this, uh, the treatment programs or the uh, treatment uh, uh, attempts began for uh, COVID-19. Based on what was coming out of China, these are what they tried. See, let's try this ourselves and let's see. So the local societies have met, have all developed their own treatment algorithms, what to try at different points in time. They consulted globally. They've been holding global meetings with Zoom and other mechanisms like this to get also other inputs from, be it from Italy, be it from China, be it from uh, Germany, just to see what is the best potential treatment pathway now in this particular desperate time. Now that's, kumbaga, it only addresses today's emergent issue. But you do need to put in the rigorous science to actually prove later on that these treatments are one, actually working, or number two, they actually don't work, right? So which is why it's important that this, uh, this WHO-sponsored study called Solidarity to roll out properly, meaning uh, the, the Philippines is fortunately part of that. So we will now have multiple treatment arms to see which of these treatment arms actually is working. Be it the drug from uh, this company called Gilead, uh, called Remdesivir, be it the hydroxychloroquine uh, compound, be it this Avigan, or be it these other treatments that may potentially have been included in the mix, the anti-HIV drugs. So we do need to still do the trials at the same time while trying in other patients uh, some of these drugs just because we really don't have anything else. But yeah, the normal research and development will take years to find a cure. I'd also like to ask about, uh, for example, efforts coming from PHAP members. Actually, let's say, pull their resources to do something about this uh, vaccine or even treatment development. Uh, Mr. Padilla, well, is there any uh, effort coming from PHAP members? Well, you know, globally, the, the companies themselves are working together. I think you've seen in the news like Sanofi and GSK yeah. have uh, pulled together. So both companies are present in the Philippines and, um, and whatever is uh, being developed or whatever um, gu guidance is coming from their headquarters is actually also working here. So um, we, we have um, Roche that also has um, both uh, diagnostics and, um, and, and medicines which are being used, uh, again, repurposed for, the, for, for this um, uh, treatment of uh, COVID-19. I mean, as many, many, and then we also have um, Takeda working on, 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 on re also again repurposing some of their uh, treatments. I think we also, if I'm not mistaken, when there's Pfizer and then there's Merck. So, I mean, the companies that are working, uh, and Johnson and Johnson, not, of course, which, which had a, which was in the news when the National Institutes of Health actually signed uh, a, a contract with them in the US to, 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 again, develop a vaccine. So all of these companies, these member companies that are at the forefront are present here, with the exception, I think, of Gilead. No? They, they, they don't... Local pharmaceutical companies. Well, we don't know what uh, is happening. I know that many, um, the number of them do have uh, 
you know, contracts with our members. No? But with respect to actually focusing on COVID-19, that's not something that uh, we're privy to. But, but, but uh, locally, do we have, uh, do we have uh, the wherewithal, the resources, the know-how to actually develop a, a vaccine here in the Philippines? I know in the past that RITM was actually moving towards that direction of trying to actually manufacture vaccine. Yeah. But this was decades ago. And I don't know yes. where they are now with it. Uh, well, uh, actually, last uh, there was a uh, um, a meeting last week called by the um, Health Technology Assessment Council, no, where we and we are part of the TWG. One of uh, the representative from RITM, RITM actually said that there were um, attempts in the past to to improve on their laboratory testing equipment in the development, particularly because it's not only just vaccines for for humans, but also for the fact that we have a thriving agricultural industry here so also for for animals no so they did get some equipment donated they did get um, a lot of um, uh, um, grants but uh, when it came to actually repairing or refurbishing somehow many of these items fell through the cracks no so they're actually they used that opportunity to seek um, uh, assistance from those in the in the call from the, the Department of Science and Technology from the uh, Center for Health Research and the DOH and the FDA to, to help them also uh, get uh, additional funding coming through so that they could actually be um, a more active player in any vaccine development in the country. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the way pharma companies, big pharma companies, position their research laboratories, we actually tend to position them very, very close to global academic centers. Mm -hmm. So you would have a research facility right beside uh, MassGen or right beside Harvard. Uh, that way we can actually have this collaboration between academia and our own scientists over a cup of coffee, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like when people could still physically meet each other. So they'd actually meet quickly for lunch, share a few couple of ideas, and then maybe draw inspiration from that, go back to their separate laboratories and actually work. So you need to have this type of collaboration, which is why we also position centers in California, out in San Francisco, in Beijing. We actually have these types of facilities in these different centers of the world where there's a lot of acad academics really cross-collaborating with each other. So, 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 far, so, so far, do we already know enough about, about this new coronavirus? Which not enough. I mean, like we have some idea. Yeah. Because there are a lot of uh, reports also of fears that uh, this virus is, uh, is mutating. And then how do you actually develop a vaccine uh, for a virus that keeps on mutating so far? Well, this is the difficulty with, a, with an RNA uh, virus versus the, stand, uh, versus the usual DNA virus. An example of an RNA virus is hepatitis, HIV. These are RNA viruses, flu. They're very, uh, in quotation marks, uh, mo mobile, subject to errors in uh, their copying mechanism well, as they reproduce inside the body. So which is why the, there are mutations and which is how scientists can actually track what is the origin of that particular virus, which is why matracnila, that the virus that appeared in New York came from Europe versus mm -hmm. the virus that came in Seattle came from China. That's how they can track these based on these tiny mutations that happen along the way. So the trick here is to find the particular portion of the viral protein that will incite the body's immune response uniformly, be it 
with uh, this particular vaccine or uh, for whatever mutation that comes out in the future, if it's a stable portion of the viral protein that can be replicated, that can be generated, so that the body will now have the immune response versus that. Mm. So, I don't like to, 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 to get your, your, your guys' thoughts on this. So, uh, hospitals such as uh, St. Luke's, uh, the Philippine General Hospital, hospital are making use of this uh, convalescent uh, plasma treatment. Right. So mm -hmm. far, it's been uh, showing promise. Uh, but right. For example, among members of PHAP, uh, how do you see this kind of uh, treatment? That's actually passive vaccination, in a sense, mm -hmm. but uh, versus active vaccination. Active vaccinations, when you take the, the ones, the types of vaccines we develop and inject them into uh, normal people, and you now generate your own immune response to that. Versus a convalescent uh, plasma, you're now passively giving antibodies that are already existing into the, into the recipient. And hopefully those antibodies will stay long enough inside the human, that particular person, recipient, to be able to fight off the, in, the current infection. Giving the patient time to bring his own immune system up to speed to generate enough antibodies. So yes, plasma or convalescent uh, uh, plasma has off, has been used in the past. It is a widely accepted technology to be able to at least treat the persons who are actively in need. So yes, I'm very supportive of that. I mean, like I think to myself, I'm glad that they actually thought of it, or at least people started sharing this idea of using convalescent plasma to be able to treat patients. Mm -hmm. I think that that treatment is actually being done also in other countries right now. They've they've, they've done it in the U.S. in Italy. So it's proving to be quite uh, promising. Mm -hmm. now, I'd like to ask, uh, for example, Mr. Padilla, uh, I'll go back to the 50 million uh, quote-unquote reward by President Duterte. Since you guys have explained the complicated process of vaccine development, I'm just wondering, let's say this is a reward offered to a Filipino. So ultimately, who would get that if uh, this is a global uh, <laughs> collaboration? which might not necessarily involve a Filipino, or if it involves a Filipino, that Filipino might not be actually in the lead, right? Well, again, we're here to speculate, and it's hard, no? Because at the moment, if that is going to be used as a reward money for maybe a Filipino scientist who was part of a team, that might be, be a more realistic. Because, again, there are limitations uh, for vaccine development in the country. Um, as, I said, as I said earlier, the heart may be in the right place because you know, we're all in this together. That's why let's look at it that way. We're all in this together. We're part of the solidarity trials that, uh, of one of the more than 100 countries uh, in that the WHO has, has uh, uh, pooled together for, this, um, for any, any treatments or vaccines that are, that are being developed. So perhaps that would be the best way to look at it. Maybe if there... Uh, I, in the end, maybe the, the, the money could be used to simply um, supplement any kind of um, treatments being done. Or, or I, I know that there is a local group that has developed a testing protocol that yeah. probably should go there. I mean, it's not for me to, 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 actually. to actually suggest where that should go, but that's probably one, way, one, way, one area to look at. Yeah, actually, that's the point here because uh, I, I intended this podcast to be a bit of uh, somehow educational to our people, to our mm -hmm. listeners, for, the, for them to understand the, uh, the, the very complicated process of vaccine development. Because even if, let's say, even without the 50 million peso reward, things would get going anyway because we're talking here of a, of a global effort 
involving a lot of companies, a lot of experts, why not just use that 50 million peso reward for something else, which would actually directly, for example, uh, benefit Filipinos, right? that, that, that's, uh, that, that's one of the things that we're uh, thinking of here. Uh, you were saying, Dr. Beaver? Yeah, I was just going to comment that, yes, does the Filipino have the capability to be part of a global team and to actually invent vaccines? Yes. In fact, there are retirees from my company, uh, MSD or Merck in the U.S., who are Filipinos who actually discovered life-changing vaccines. Yeah. And they've already since retired from the company. But yeah, they were heavily involved with the development of some of these uh, pediatric vaccines. So yes, we are capable of it. The only question now is, do we have the research labs facilities? I mean, like the manufacturing process is so complicated. And the problem is uh, vaccine manufacturing, unlike say uh, pill tablet manufacturing, when you pull together the necessary compounds, you can standardize the manufacturing of pills. But the vaccine, you actually have to grow it mm. in the laboratory, in the vats. And you are not even sure that you actually even get a yield. One vat that took you three months to grow can actually render out zero particles. It's mm. actually happened. Even mm. for established vaccines that we normally make. Uh, it's happened to us. Because manufacturing could make it. Because suddenly something went wrong with the process. So it's a very delicate process. If you have the formula already, you still have to contend with, let's say, another complicated phase, which is manufacturing. Yeah, it's not, it's not like you're just making a cookie cutter type of a product. You actually have to grow the damn thing. It's, it's a living thing, really, basically. You're trying to grow protein from uh, bacteria or from yeast to actually get out that particular protein so you can now put it inside the right packaging so you can now inject it into somebody. Do we have such labs here in the Philippines? Nope. Not no. very many places in the world have it. My company really only manufactures vaccine only in Europe, in the U.S., mm -hmm. uh, around the Pennsylvania area. That's the only spot in the world where we actually make vaccines. So, yeah, this is highly specialized, no? Yeah, extremely yeah. specialized. Extremely but, specialized. Anyway, thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us uh, this morning. It's been uh, very enlightening. Uh, thank you very much for all the information. This is indeed very complicated, no? Actually, before I forget, I'd like to ask you about this. Let's say uh, a vaccine has already been, uh, let's say, developed. How about the complicated process of approval, approval at the FDA here in the Philippines? Well, uh, I'm pretty sure the, there will be a sense of urgency that I think is now filtering through every organization. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that particular process will be accelerated. Yeah. Uh, even Ebola, like the Ebola vaccine, while it took a long time to finally get approval, people were actually using it even off-label, right? Because mm. there was a raging epidemic. And it's still raging in the Congo because right, there's an actual war. You cannot actually go around vaccinating everybody because of the actual wartime conditions and bullets flying, really. So you, the healthcare workers could not go in. Uh, but even then, uh, people were still already using the vaccine simply because that was the only thing that could actually work. So they finally got approval. Kite uh, Night was uh, like uh, five years from 2014 to 2019. Hopefully with this one, if, if the vaccine already is proven, at least in the large-scale clinical trials, to actually be working to prevent the vaccine, I'm pretty sure we'll be able to use it under experimental designation. Mm. Hopefully nobody makes that uh, big 
case na in-experimentohan tayo uh, before we finally get the final approvals, right? Yeah. It's very common in other countries. Eh? Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Something, Mr. Padilla. Yeah, no, the, the, the other thing also is that uh, at the start of this, uh, when this emergency was called here in the Philippines, even the FDA, our FDA here was, uh, was um, of the opinion that they're looking at this um, process of accelerating approvals, no? um, which means that even, even if they don't have yet the, ca uh, the, the capability of, let's say, testing it you know, the way it would normally be done, if it has already gotten the approvals from other authorities like the US FDA or the Europeans or the Japanese, I mean, they, they will definitely um, push that uh, process forward and so, so that it will no longer have to uh, wait. Because mm -hmm. other, 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 otherwise, then you know, lives will be lost okay. or could be lost. No? Okay, Dr. Beaver Tameses and Mr. Atidoro Padilla, thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us on this uh, ANC Matters of Fact podcast. And that's it for this week's episode. Catch us again next week for another edition of the Matters of Fact podcast.